Good evening, everyone. I invite a turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'll be reading a verse from there uh, momentarily. But first, uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this particular time that is set aside to reflect and perceive your indescribable gift that you have given for our salvation. And Father, I pray even now that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. As we are gathered here on this Christmas Eve, it is fitting that we turn our attention to the Scriptures in order to ponder the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This incomparable grace is revealed profoundly in the fact that He traversed the great distance between divine holiness and human weakness, and He did that by becoming man. Christmas hymns are at their best when they direct our attention to this mystery. In the first song that we sang tonight, we sang that the everlasting Son Himself, a servant's form, puts on. And we were instructed that we should rise to meet our lowly King. A lowly King? A servant King? A little Lord? As the fourth song put it, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay? Well, might we ask, as we did in the second song, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? The answer is that this is Christ the King, and we were instructed to hasten to bring Him Laud, the babe, the son of Mary. The fourth verse of the third song nails it. The heavenly babe you there shall find to human view displayed. What a gift. The heart of a godly person would have aspired to see the face of God. But how can a mere mortal ascend to the highest heaven in order to see God's face? And yet, what we have in Bethlehem is the high king's deliberate descent, his condescension to ordinary manhood, ordinary boyhood, ordinary infanthood. As Charles Wesley put it, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And as we sang in the sixth song, the Lord whom we greet on Christmas morning is the Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. The Word was always with the Father, but once He came in the flesh, it it could henceforth be said that now the Word is with humanity. The Word is with us. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Simply put, as we sang in the seventh song, He came down to earth from heaven who is God and Lord of all. Don't let the poetry obscure the meaning. The meaning is simply this. From heaven, the God and Lord of all came down to earth. All this is the glory and grace of Christmas. And in order to continue to display to human view the glory of our Lord's incarnation, God gave us the Scriptures. God intends that as we hear and understand the Scriptures, that the eyes of our heart will actually see the divine glory shining forth from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I invite you to ponder with me a few simple scriptural passages 
The fourth one will be in 2 Corinthians, so, so hold your spot there. Uh, I want to begin by reading a few verses from Philippians chapter 2, which says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 6-8. And then Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 say, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And then, fourthly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read verse 9, and I'm actually going to use verse 9 as a template to walk through the story of our Lord's grace to us, and I'll incorporate some other passages as we move through it. But this is what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. According to this verse, the grace of Jesus unfolds in four parts. Part one, he was rich. It would be an understatement to say that he had vast holdings, including all the cattle on a thousand hills. In fact, he possessed all things. All things were created through Him and for Him, Colossians 1.16. He is the one who sustained all things and held all things together, Hebrews 1.3 and Colossians 1.17. He is God's Son, the beloved Son who always enjoyed fellowship with the Father and shared in the Father's glory. The Father had appointed Him the heir of all things, Hebrews 1.2. Philippians 2.6 gets to the heart of our Lord's wealth. He was in the form of God, and he had equality with God. He had divine rank and status. He had all the sovereign authority, all the heavenly glory, all the powers and privileges of deity, all the freedom to do whatever he desired to do. Our Lord was incomprehensibly rich. Part 2. Yet for your sake he became poor. Here is the stunning truth. The one who had all freedom to do whatever he desired to do, desired to undertake loving action for your sake. The form that this loving action took was the voluntary acceptance of poverty. He became poor. Although our Lord's poverty can be understood to some degree by the fact that he was born into an ordinary working-class family, that is not the best way to grasp our Lord's voluntary poverty. The best way to understand our Lord's impoverishment is by comparing his condition of relative poverty on earth with the absolute riches that he had previously enjoyed in heaven. God became man. The Lord of glory 
became a servant. As the Philippians 2 passage shows, the one who was, who was in the form of God took on the form of a servant. The one who had equality with God was born in the likeness of men. The sovereign king became subject to human authority structures. The one who had all the powers and privileges of deity lay in a manger, nursed at his mother's breast and was dependent on parental care. Our Lord's voluntary poverty can continue to be unpacked in terms of other aspects of his life. The Galatians 4 passage, which I read, tells us that he was born under the law. The divine lawgiver put himself in a position in which he had to live a truly human life as an obedient keeper of the law. The divine king and judge placed himself under the law that as man he might fulfill the law. And he did. He lived the entirety of his life in perfect conformity to his perfect law. This sets the stage for his ultimate impoverishment, which was a shameful death on a cross. The Philippians 2 passage tells us that he obeyed the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. On the cross, our Lord entered into the place of God-forsakenness, the place of utter abandonment, which is why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This brings us to part three. Part three and part four will be drawn from the last part of 2 Corinthians 8 9, which says, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And what I, want to em- what I want to emphasize in part three are those three words, by his poverty, which point to the fact that our Lord's poverty is the means by which poor sinners become rich saints. 2 Corinthians 8 9 teaches us not only that the Lord Jesus Christ became poor, but also and especially that his becoming poor is the means of our redemption. Never fall into the liberal Protestant trap of thinking that the Lord became poor and that he suffered and died merely as an example of love for us to imitate. Truly, the Lord is our example, as many passages make clear, 1 John 3.16 among them. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Our Lord's self-giving love is set forth as the perfect example which we must strive to imitate. But even so, I want us to ponder the fact that there is something utterly unique about our Lord's impoverishment, which, which makes his impoverishment the very means of our redemption. The Apostle Peter puts it simply, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 He had earlier written in chapter 1, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Our Lord's impoverishment, His taking on human flesh so that He could live righteously in the flesh and so that He could suffer vicariously in the flesh 
All that was aimed at our salvation. For your sake he became poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And as 2 Corinthians 5, 21 puts it, for our sake God made Christ to be sin. Although he knew no sin, he became sin for our sake. He took upon himself the guilt and shame and punishment of our sins. He's the propitiation for our sins, 1 John 4.10. He made purification for sins, Hebrews 1.3. The one who was without sin and who always kept the law and always did what was pleasing to the Father was treated as if he were a lawbreaker. The law pronounces a curse upon lawbreakers. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, Galatians 3.10. In great mercy, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, Galatians 3.13. He entered into the place of ultimate impoverishment in order to redeem us from sin and death, as Paul wrote at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. Through the poverty of His Son's incarnation, suffering and death, God condemned sin in the flesh so that he might justify and sanctify us. This is why you should have a very Merry Christmas. Because our Lord's impoverishment is the means of bringing sinners into everlasting and joyful fellowship with the Father. And this brings us to part four, which again relates to that final phrase, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this fourth and final part, I want to emphasize the words, so that you might become rich. In terms of the whole verse, what is striking is this simple concept. The Lord became what we were in order to make us what he is. Or to put it another way, the Lord entered into our bankrupt condition in order to bring us into his blessed condition. Do you see, do you see that? The Lord was rich and we were poor, but he became poor in order to make us rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. The rich Lord became a poor servant so that impoverished sinners might become rich in him. The Lord became what we were in order to make us what he is and Many other passages make the same point. 2 Corinthians 5.21 teaches that the righteous one became sin so that sinners might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 4.4 conveys a similar idea. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God's Son became what we were, a man under the law, in order to transform lawbreakers into sons of God. Lest anyone get the wrong idea, our becoming sons of God does not mean that we become divine, but it does mean that we are brought into a privileged, graced, and dearly loved relationship with the Father. It does mean that we are in fellowship with God. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, Galatians 3.26. Understood rightly, it is difficult to improve upon the way that C.S. Lewis put it when he said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Revelation 4, verses 9 through 10, echoes the same truth. It says, by your blood, this is a praise to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. By natural right, Jesus is the only truly worthy priest king. And yet, he has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. Mankind's capacity to fulfill its high calling as image bearers of God was lost in the fall, but that capacity and dignity is restored in Christ. Have you experienced the restoration of that capacity and dignity through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Through Christ, poor sinners are able to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 4, 24. Through faith in Christ, poor sinners become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Through the sufferings of Christ, poor sinners become part of the royal priesthood, learning to steward holy things now and destined to reign with Christ forever. Through the atoning sacrifice of Christ, slaves become sons, accursed ones become blessed ones, lawbreakers become liberated to live in the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. Through the incarnate and glorious grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, poor sinners become rich toward God. Those who trust in Christ are welcomed as sons and daughters, beloved by the Father, indwelt by the Spirit, incorporated as living stones into a holy temple in the Lord, Ephesians 2.21. And we are commissioned to represent Christ as His ambassadors to a world that remains impoverished and lost without Him. Application. This good news of our Lord's purposeful impoverishment for the sake of our enrichment in Him is meant to transform us. The Lord's grace is meant to transform not only our position, which is what I've emphasized so far, our standing with God, 
but also our practice. It's meant to transform the way that we live. So far, I have utilized 2 Corinthians 8-9 as a template for understanding the incarnate and intentional grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what must not be overlooked is the context in which 2 Corinthians 8-9 occurs. It occurs in a two-chapter context, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, which are about us as Christians giving generously to others, especially to other Christians who are in need. Paul calls this giving an act of grace in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. And later Paul writes, you will be, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 2 Corinthians 9, 11. Part of our becoming rich, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, is our being made large-hearted participants in God's kingdom of self-giving love. The Philippians 2 passage, by the way, makes a similar point. Paul glories in the truth that the divine Lord became a lowly human servant in order to impress upon us that we ought to imitate our Lord's example. He wrote in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. In other words, our Lord Jesus Christ did not consider his high position as something to be used for his own self-protecting advantage. But instead, he decided to use all the riches and resources at his disposal in order to pursue the interests of others. And Paul says that you and I ought to have the same mindset that we would use our limited resources for the good of others. And so, if you want to have a joyful Christmas and a happy new year and a joyful life in general, don't miss this key point. The reason that sinful human beings are so often frustrated and miserable, and perhaps that's even you here tonight, frustrated and miserable three-quarters of the time, the reason that that happens for sinful human beings is because they are turned in on themselves. Self-absorbed, small-hearted, stuck on pleasing themselves. And so it is that the human heart is layered up with the muck and grime of sin and envy and complaints and self-serving agendas. And the good news of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came to deliver you from this poverty First, by addressing the guilt and punishment that your sins deserve. And second, by showing you the everyday path of practical, joyful living. Would you have a household full of joy? Would you have an extended family gathering full of joy? Would you have congregational fellowship full of joy? Then at least do your part, which is, to clothe yourself with the, the humble, sacrificial mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to put on the attitude of self-giving love and large-hearted generosity and to get on with the happy business of serving others for their sake. It's very freeing when you realize that's the Lord's will for your life. Blessedness Blessedness is always escaping the reach of the selfish takers. But blessing flows to those who learn to to give generously and warmly and patiently and kindly for Jesus' sake. As Scripture says, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20.35. Yes, we must remember our Lord's words, and we must also remember the Lord's embodiment of those words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Father, I pray that every believer in the sanctuary would be reminded of this call to find true riches in Jesus and then to follow Him by pouring out our lives in loving service to others. And Father, I pray for those in the sanctuary who do not believe. They're still caught up in sin. I pray that the light of the gospel would break through to their hearts, that you would set them free from the law of sin and death and that the Holy Spirit would take hold of their hearts and minds and set them on the path of joyful obedience. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift that you have given through the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.